Good morning, everybody. This morning's scripture reading is John 10. Give me a second to get to it. Okay, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, who, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. 
For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because of you being a man, make yourself God? Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because, of, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, the, if I do though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we come to you this morning. Lord, we ask that uh, the people that aren't here this morning, the congregation that's not here, you, you keep your hand upon them. We know we got some sick and infirmed. Lord, we pray for them this morning. Um, Lord, we pray for Alan as he recovers um, from his surgery and um, just has a lot of things going on. We pray for Jeanette as she supports him in that. Lord, we also pray for Vince and Cheryl, um, just uh, just getting Vince back strong again so he can come back to church and see everyone and uh, be here with this congregation. So I just pray that uh, you would uh, give Jackie the words today and uh, you would bless us all with the words that Jackie preaches today and you'd help us go out in this uh, world and uh, make it a better place. And uh, I pray for the government as it changes hands and uh, we go into a different uh, type uh, presidency. Lord, that you would just bless all the people that are involved and Lord, your will would be done ultimately. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. How's everybody this morning? You doing all right? You sure? Sound like you're not sure. <clears throat> um, so we're going to start the seventh discourse, the last public discourse John's going to talk about. So we, got, we have private ones after that, after this, but this is the last public, the Good Shepherd Discourse. You have two I am statements in the Good Shepherd Discourse. Remember, those I am statements are times where Jesus fulfills what Scripture said, John chapter 1. Remember, John chapter 1 said that no one has seen God at any time, speaking of the Father. The only begotten, the God in the center, in the bosom of the Father, he reveals him to us. So how does he do that? 
in the Gospel of John, he does it through seven I am statements. Each one describing the characteristics of God, how God relates to us. What is it that God is looking for from us? So we have a couple of those in our text this morning for, for us to look at. At the Good Shepherd Discourse. It's interesting because this is closely linked to chapter 9. There's not a, there's not a, it hasn't ended. We haven't left the scene. You remember the scene, chapter 9? Jesus heals a man born blind. You remember? Makes mud. Was illegal by man's rules on the Sabbath. There's a lot of man's rules that don't have anything to do with God, right? And so he, he washed, he goes down to the pool washing. They, they cast him out, right? The leadership over the Jewish people cast out the blind man because the blind man kept referring back to Jesus, right? Look, uh, I don't know how you guys can't understand this, but he just healed somebody born blind. He's not just a normal guy. We talked last time about the realities that these were all pictures of the supremacy of Christ and they're all pictures of Messiah. What will Messiah do? Messiah is going to open the eyes of the blind, right? That's one of the things that scripture talks about. In, in John 6.37, it says... No one can come to me unless the Father draw him. And he that comes to me, I will not cast out. Chapter 9, you see the leadership over the Jewish people, the religious leaders, right? The, the, those are the guys everybody's looking to. How do we follow God? We'll see in a moment they were bad shepherds, right? Right? And what were they doing to those who were coming to the truth of Messiah? They were doing exactly what Jesus said he, the good shepherd, would never do. Right? If you come to me, I will not cast you out. So we begin this text before us this morning with an illustration. Look at John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, those are not synonymous terms. A thief steals, a robber beats you. One is violent, one is nonviolent. One steals what you have, the other uh, brings violence against you. But he who enters by the door, he's the shepherd of the sheep. Right now, if you're at home, and you're sitting there watching TV and somebody is climbing in your window, you're thinking somebody's breaking in, right? Because someone coming to visit you comes to the door, don't they? Right? If somebody comes crawling through your window, there's a chance in Idaho that they will meet something they don't want to meet, right? Don't climb through people's windows. Bad plan. Knock on the door so that we know you're normal. So the idea, right, this is what Jesus is saying, oh, he who enters by the door is the shepherd. So the one who comes into the fold. Now, there's a couple of different folds and there's some confusion because Jesus kind of melds the two together. But basically the idea of the sheepfold in the ancient Near East is a wall, a walled enclosure with no door. 
And they would, the shepherds would all bring their sheep. Everybody would bring their, whatever their flock is. They would all go into the same, same fold. And a shepherd was the door. A shepherd would lay across the opening. So if a wolf or something was coming in, it had to get over the shepherd to get to the sheep. Or if a sheep was wandering, it had to get over the shepherd to get out. So, so he himself, the shepherd, becomes the door. But anybody who, if you were the shepherd sitting there at the door and you've seen somebody jumping over the wall, this is bad, right? Because you shouldn't be jumping over the wall. If you're a shepherd, you'd come to the door. Now Jesus is making reference to the religious leadership over the Jews. This is who he's talking to. The same situation has occurred. He's standing with a blind man. It was just cast out by the religious leaders. He's talking about the fold. And the fold in this case is Judaism. He's talking about Judaism. And Jesus is there to bring his sheep out, right, of Judaism. And they're going to enter into what the Bible talked about in Jeremiah chapter 31, which is the new covenant where God changes your heart because the heart is deceitful and wicked, right? And so the heart must be changed and this is the work that Christ is accomplishing for the people. So he's, he's going to say, the, anybody who doesn't come to the door, he's a thief and a robber. Look at verse three. To him, the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, the word used there, it's, it's an uncommon word used to describe an illustration or a story. It's not the word parable. It means a proverb that holds a deep spiritual truth. So this figure of speech of Jesus, this illustration that Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying to them. The Pharisees don't get it. Now the whole section here is directed at the Pharisees. Just back up a couple of verses. John 9, verse 40. Some of the Pharisees heard him say these things and they asked, are we blind also? Are you saying we're blind? It's the same conversation. They have not left from that conversation. So they're missing the meaning. There's three things that we see that Jesus is illustrating, at least in the beginning of this story. One, he's illustrating the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep. He's illustrating what's going on. What, how is he illustrating the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep? Well, one, the shepherd calls the sheep, Right? That's the rule. The shepherd calls the sheep. Secondly, he goes before them. He doesn't push them. What does he do? He leads them. We were, we were uh, uh, singing a song this morning, right, about the concept, right? He leads, then the shepherd would say what to the sheep? Follow me. Sound familiar? And then the third thing we see about the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep is that his sheep follow him. Keep in mind, what are they following him from? They're leaving the old covenant and entering into the new. They're leaving the old covenant. 
They're leaving the, the old system, the old religious system that was there, and they're following him to the new. John 6.45 tells us when we, when we look at this section of Scripture, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6.44. Remember when we did John 6, we asked several questions. Who does the Father draw, and how does he draw them? John 6.45 tells us, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father. So there's a, a responsibility given to man. How do I know that? Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, when it talks about the condemnation of men, what does it say? It says, men are condemned. Why? Because what can be known of God has been shown to them. How? How? God, the Father, showed them. And men in unrighteousness do what? Suppress the truth. There's a rejection of the word. There's a rejection from that which the Father has given. And that rejection accomplishes what? It hardens the heart of the rejecter. So that what? He can't see. Seeing, he doesn't see. Hearing, he doesn't perceive. He doesn't turn to the Lord and receive that which the Lord has for him. But what about the one who hears? All men are condemned because they suppress the truth. They know there's a God. They know what it is that God is looking for from them, but they love their sin. But what about the man who hears the word of God, convicted by his sin, and receives what God's word says? What about Nineveh? Remember Nineveh? Right? Jonah goes into Nineveh and he preaches 40 days from now, God's going to wipe you out. So the king comes down, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, right? And he repents publicly before the people, calls the people to repentance. God relents of his judgment. He heard the word, responded to the word, and what did that bring? Life, right? They lived. God's judgment didn't come. So as we look at this section of scripture, we want to understand that. His sheep follow him. They're the ones who respond to the word of the Father. What did John the Baptist go for? Why did John the Baptist come? Why do you need John the Baptist? He prepared the way. How did he prepare the way? What did he do to the people? He came to the people and he called them to repent and believe all that the Old Testament scriptures had taught. Were there people who responded? Were there people who rejected? And when we look at the work of Christ, who were the ones who came to his call? The ones who responded to John the Baptist, who called people to repent and believe. And the ones who rejected the word, what happened to them? Their hearts are hardened, yes? And as their hearts are hardened, they don't turn. They don't repent. They don't come to the Lord. So what Jesus said is true. Who were the ones the Father gave him? The ones who responded to the ministry of John the Baptist, to the ministry of the prophets before him, whose 
hearts were convicted by the word, not rejecting the word because they love their sin, but convicted by the word to repent from their sin, put their trust in the Lord so that when Jesus spoke, Jesus said, if you believe my father, you would believe me too. You see how it's all fitting together. So Jesus is saying here over, over these, that hey, anybody who goes over the wall is a thief and a robber. Anybody who doesn't go through the door, he's not the shepherd of the sheep. I want you to know that the shepherd is going to lead and the sheep are going to follow. Why? Because they know his voice. Jesus is going to say in the second half, trust me, we're not getting all the way through chapter 10. You, you guys were probably figuring that out, right? <coughs> we're not going to get to that part where Jesus says, I and the Father are. Do they speak with a different voice, the Father and the Son? No, because they are harmonized, right? There's a harmony of the Godhead. That means that the Father has not decreed something to happen, and the Son is working against it, right? Or another way to say that is the Father speaks and the Son speaks with the same voice as the Father. They sound the same. The other day, Kathy's talking to her sister, Nancy. Apparently, there's an exodus of California. I don't know if you guys knew this. And uh, so my wife is like, it's, it's the craziest thing. So there will be three green girls now. Kathy and her sister, Lori, who's here with us today, she just moved up. Their, her other sister, Nancy, just bought a house. So she's moving up. And yesterday, she's talking to Nancy about Sue, who's the, the, the next sister, the oldest, and she's looking at houses. Crazy. I don't know what I will do. Yeah. <laughs> All that means is I'm not ever going to see my wife because she's going to be hanging out with her sisters. But she's talking to Nancy on the phone. And the girls all talk, right? And I, I'm honest, cannot tell the difference. I think Nancy's Lori. Now, if I had heard what she was saying, I would have been able to differentiate maybe, but the tone of their voice sounds the same. There are sometimes I call my house, if I called my house and Lori answered the phone, I'd think it was Kathy because they sound the same, because they're part of the same family. And so we have the same thing within the Godhead. When the Father speaks and the Son speaks, you're not going to go, oh, the Son's way different. Sometimes people think that's what the Bible is like. They think the God of the Old Testament, he's harsh and cruel, and, and, and the God of the New Testament, Jesus, and they sound totally different. No, they don't. If you do a careful reading of the Old Testament, you'll understand the grace and the mercy and the love that God shows on every single page. The other thing you'll know is there is a day, a payday someday, right? We, we have a tendency to want to forget that, but there's this book at the end of the New Testament. I don't know if you guys have ever read it. Some people think you're living it right now. Um, it's called the book of Revelation, and if you read that, it sounds a lot like payday someday, right? There, is there a judgment day? For sure, for sure. But does God extend grace and mercy? Did he do it in the Old Testament? We just talked about Nineveh, right? Was Nineveh, did Nineveh deserve the grace of God? No. 
Did, did Nineveh receive the grace of God? Yeah. You know, Nineveh were Assyrians. They weren't even Jews. But we see this thing, this kind of thing happening over and over again. Jesus uses the same voice. So if you hear his words, Jesus says, you hear my father's words. He said, the things I do, I only do what the father tells me to do, right? See the harmony? I only speak the things the father gives me to say, right? The harmony within the Godhead. And so this is what Jesus is talking about, okay? I'm the, I'm the shepherd over the sheep. The sheep who are responding, who have heard the word, received the word, repent and believe, they are ready to hear my voice. Those who have rejected it are hardening their hearts. Isaiah 55 says that the word of God always accomplishes what it's sent to do. Yes? It will either judge you and harden your heart or call you to repentance. But it'll always do, the same word will accomplish that. It will accomplish that purpose. So verse seven, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Okay, so we have <coughs> seen Jesus lay out for us, before us, uh, this I am statement before. What is it that God is like? How is the Father? What is the Father like? Jesus is expressing that to us. <coughs> he says, I am the, <coughs> excuse me, woo, door of the sheep. Slow down, Jackie, okay? Don't choke in front of everybody. <laughs> No, give me water. There's a can right there by you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is 90% water. You know, my old one had a cup holder. It's just wrong to put a can on the cross. That's... We should not do that. So Jesus is describing to us, right, the characteristics of the, of the Father. I am the door to the sheep. I am, he's going to say, <clears throat> oh, just slow down, Jackie. I'm so excited. <laughs> All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So what do we know about the position of Jesus, our good shepherd? He's the door. What does that mean? He's the Father's appointed way. We know, Scripture lays out for us that concept, right? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the the." And the, no man comes to the Father except through me. I am the appointed way. Right? That's what it means when he says, I am the door. John 15, 5. Jesus is going to give us another I am statement. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Is there any way to save ourselves? No way. There's only one way, right? In the old days, when I was a kid, Christians used to do this one-way signal, right? 
We'd look at each other. We used to talk about it all the time. There was even a Bible called The Way. Uh, there was, there was uh, just this concept, this sense that there is one way, right? There's only one way to salvation. That's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the door. He's the door. What primed the heart? The word of God. The word of God primed the heart. The people who responded to that word, uh, repented, believed that word, were ready to hear Jesus say, come, follow me. And what did they do? They came and followed him because he is the way. Now everything, listen to what he said, all before were thieves and robbers. Who do you think, now Jesus got the blind guy next to him, the people who threw the blind guy out, <clears throat> excuse me, the scribes and the Pharisees gathered around. When he says, all before me were thieves and robbers, he's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. The people who took the word of God, complicated the word of God to the point that nobody was going to be able to get saved because they're, they're so complicated by the things that the scribes and Pharisees had put in place. There are a lot of systems today that do that, that complicate things, that complicate the, the plain teaching of what the Word of God is. Jesus says, if you don't come through the door, you are a thief and a robber. In Luke 16, 14, it says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things and they ridiculed him. What is it saying about the Pharisees? They were what? Lovers of money. How would you describe a thief and a robber? They love your stuff even more than you do. Right? Mark 12, 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They like greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at the feast. Who devour widows' houses for a pretense. They make long prayers they will receive a greater condemnation. So the scripture lays out for us. Who's Jesus talking to when he says they're thieves and robbers? He's talking about the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, who would not point to the one they knew was the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We've talked about the witness of Jesus. The witnesses, the things that witness to Jesus, the word of God that the Father had given through the prophets, right? That testified to who he was. The works of Christ, that testified to who he was, right? Remember I told you, you got a whole chapter in Leviticus of what to do when a leper is cleansed. And lepers were never cleansed. Ever. You ever have like a SOP manual at work and there's a chapter in that, uh, what to do in case of, uh, you know, I don't know, biohazard. And you're like, yeah, that never happens. Right? So they say you got to know what to do in your SOP manual and you, and you know all the stuff that you do. But do you know the stuff you don't do? Probably not as well, right? Because we really learn our standard operating procedures by doing them. Not because they're written in a book. But if there's a biohazard, all of a sudden everybody's got the SOP out. Hey, what are we supposed to be doing? That's exactly what was going on in the priesthood when a bunch of lepers showed up for the cleansing ritual. 
They're like, you know, let's look in the annuals. When has this ever happened? Never. The only lepers that were cleansed in the Old Testament were Gentiles. Gentiles never went to the temple. Not for what should be done. So you have Jesus showing up on a scene. Not only do the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear, which was not normal. I know sometimes we think that was just normal life in the old days. There were healers everywhere. No. It wasn't like that. It was just like now. If some dude walked down the street and just was healing everybody and doing all these miraculous things, would that stick out? Would we go, whoa, what's going on? Yeah, for sure we would. For sure we would. So the same thing is happening then. Were the works of Christ speaking to the religious leaders as to who he was? Were the words of the Father speaking, uh, giving witness to who he was? And then you have his own testimony. If you don't even include John the Baptist who said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He pointed to him and said, Mashiach Nagid, Messiah the King. But they've rejected all testimony because they want to kill him. Right? Which, by the way, is what Jesus came for. Well, but then how, if Jesus came to die and God said that he was going to die, how can those guys be responsible? Because they rejected the word of the Father, their hearts were hardened, and then they became the tools to crucify Christ. And so they are responsible for doing what God ordained before should be done. The scriptures are bearing these things out. What is the promise that Jesus is giving? He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He's got the blind man right next to him. The blind man who was worshiping him. You don't think that freaked out the scribes and the Pharisees? Like, get that guy up. You're not supposed to worship. You don't just walk around worshiping people. But that seemed to happen everywhere Jesus went. So this, he's saying, look, I'm the one. I'm the way you get saved. You come through me. What was his purpose? I came to give you life. I came to give you Zoe. It's so incredible if you just look at the, at the word Zoe. Bios is biological life. It's just Zoe is the life you want to live. And the Lord is saying, look, I, I come to give you the life you want to live. You think all these other things are what life's all about. Life is all about union with me. That's when you will have the abundant life. I am the door. He's the way. He's the appointed way. Then in John 10, 11, he gives us the next I am statement. I am the good shepherd, which implies someone around there is bad. <laughs> Otherwise, he would just say, I'm the shepherd. But he wants to differentiate himself from bad shepherds. Yes? I am the good shepherd. And he tells you what makes him good. I lay down my life for the sheep. What was the problem with the bad shepherds? The sheep lay down their lives for them. Do you understand the difference? 
Jesus Christ is the servant king, the humble king, the example. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, there are two parts of that scripture that identify the nature of God. It says that Jesus is in very nature God, and Jesus is in very nature a slave. In the same way that Jesus is God, according to Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Jesus is slave. That's, that's like character. He's talking about the absolute, the nuts and bolts of what makes God, God. That's a pretty incredible thing to consider, isn't it? And then Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'll tell you the difference between me and these guys. I, let my, I lay my life down for the sheep. I lay my life down. Then he describes a hired man. He who's a hired man is not a shepherd. That's a dude who has the job just to get paid. That's a hired man. Look, it's all about, it's all about getting paid. So if what I'm doing is going to get me paid and help me get along, I'm in. As soon as it costs me something, how do you know when it costs you something? Well, let's say a lion shows up. And I hired you to watch the sheep. But they're not your sheep. You don't care about them sheep. You never carried them sheep. And you're pretty sure you can't make any money after the lion eats you. So what does the hireling do? Peace. I'm out. They're your sheep, dude. Good luck. But what does the shepherd do? What did David do? The man after God's own heart. He beat the lion off. Why? Yeah, because they're his sheep. He says, a hireling, he doesn't care. He sees a wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and flees. <clears throat> the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired man and he doesn't care about the sheep. Who's he talking to? Scribes and Pharisees. Why is he talking to scribes and Pharisees? They're the religious power of the day. What did the religious power of the day, did they care about you? No. We had men's breakfast this last weekend. We talked about uh, all kinds of things. And, you know, I get in trouble all the time. I get in trouble for what I'm about to say, too. Um, so, so when I say it and offend you and you send me the email... I read it. Just put your name on it. It makes me feel better that you at least wanted me to know who you were. There is not very many leaders of the world who care about you. I won't say there are none, but I'm only doing that because there may be one. So I don't, I don't buy none of their nonsense about how much I care about you. As far as I'm concerned, the problem with our political system is that our political system is all driven by money. Everything's driven by money. Every choice people make is driven by money. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. They all want money. So we were talking about what's the future. One of the things we talked about is the future is learning to play a long game. That means we got to get it all back. We got to take back all the ground that was lost and we got to take it back in the name of Jesus Christ. That means we, we first take back our families. We then take back uh, our, our schools. We take back all these things. It's generation after generation after generation. There is no short, quick, 
boom, we dropped the bomb and we, and we took care of it all. I don't believe. I think we've, we've got to do all of that because we tend to follow bad shepherds. We make compromises. I remember when I was in California a long time ago when, when Arnold Schwarzenegger was running on the Republican platform. He's, he was a Republican. He was married to a Kennedy. That's probably a little weird. But anyway, he was, <clears throat> he was, uh, he was running. And I remember there was another guy running at the same time uh, against him for governor of, uh, of California. It's probably the last time California had at least a, a, a red in name governor. And I wouldn't vote for Arnold. And I took a bunch of heat. How come you won't vote for Arnold? Because Arnold is uh, for abortion. That's a dividing for me. But I know tens of thousands. I don't know them all. I know the few I knew. And there were tens of thousands of other Christians who voted for Arnold. Because he's a guy we can get in. We compromised. We put him in. And he was whatever you call somebody who is very liberal, who pretends not to be very liberal. And not that there's anything necessarily wrong with liberalism other than the idea of the loss of the sanctity of life. That's a, that's a game changer for me. I, I'm not going to do it. And so the problem is that's not the only thing we compromise so in order to get somebody who was pro-life, we compromise over something else. Well, I'm going to overlook this. I'm going to overlook this. I'm going to overlook this, right? Don't we do that? So instead of playing the rigged game, we need to bring the game down. And that's going to take time. That's going to take a willingness to bring all the kingdoms of this world and declare them to be the kingdoms of our Christ. That's the long game. We got to stop being short-sighted. No more bad shepherds. Here's what a bad shepherd was described as in Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. <clears throat> Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you scatter my flock. You've driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. What was one of the marks of a bad shepherd? He scattered the flock. There was no unity within the flock. The flock was divided. Therefore, I will gather the remnant of my flock <coughs> out of all the countries I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. And they will be fruitful and multiply, and I will put shepherds over them who will care for them. How do, how do we know a good shepherd? A good shepherd does what? Yeah, lays down his life for the sheep, right? We lay down our life for the sheep. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. Who's he talking about? Jesus, who just said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And you will call him Yahweh Tiskanu, the Lord, our righteousness. How do you become righteous? From Yahweh Tiskanu. He is my righteousness. He who knew no sin 
became my sin sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God. Yahweh Tiskanu. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. <coughs> Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not f- feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. Listen, the weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. With force and harshness you have ruled them. So they are scattered. That's the bad sheep. That's the bad sheep. Jesus said, I'm the example of the good sheep. What was his commitment? I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yes? Jesus Christ laid down his life for the sheep. He's not a hireling. The hired man runs away. He doesn't own the sheep. Jesus owns the sheep. He loves the sheep. So he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own and my own know me. In the same way, that's what just as means. You see just as in verse 15? I know my own, my own know me in the same way just as the father knows me and I know the father. So Jesus is like, hey, we, we know one another. We know one another. In Proverbs, Lady Wisdom is described as standing on the corner of the city and calling out to the people who are going to the immoral woman and losing their life by, by going the wrong way. And she is calling them. In Proverbs, you have the story of two, the immoral woman and Lady Wisdom. And she says, come follow me, and I will take you to life. Come follow me. And those who heard the word and responded to the word and came to her, she brought to life. And she knew them, and they knew her. This is what Jesus is talking about. He is John 1.1. Why do you think John 1.1 starts with a prologue it begins with? In the beginning was uh, the word was with God face to face with God the Father. The word was face to face with the Father. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word, in verse 14, became flesh. The word of God became flesh. So all who heard and responded to the word When the word of God was flesh, what did they do? They had already responded to the word. They're responding to him. They would come. They will come. Why does Paul say, through the foolishness of the message preached? Could God save people easier? How does he do it? Through the foolishness of the message preached. You have some herald standing on a corner somewhere or behind a pulpit someplace sharing the word of God. 
What has power? My words have no power. No power in my words. What has power? The word of God has power. Because men will either respond or reject that power. They respond, they come to the light. God gives more light. He does what he promised. If you come to me, I will change your heart. (laughs) He gives man that heart of flesh. He says, I know my own and my own know me in the same way the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this fold. What did I tell you the fold was? The fold's Judaism. Are there other sheep that aren't Jews? Now, to a Jew, they don't like that message very much. There were two kinds of people in the world. Jews and everyone who was burning in hell. That was the two kinds of people. Jesus says, he's, it's very clear that the fold is the Jews. And he's like, I'm calling my sheep out of the fold. They're going to hear my voice. They've responded to the word. They're going to come. But I have other sheep that aren't in here. I have sheep. The Bible says in Revelation, an, uh, a, I'm going to mess up the words, but an a, I'm trying to think of the right word. A, a group that can't be numbered. That's a long way of saying what I'm trying to say. Innumerable. I'm tripping over it and my tongue is swelling. So there's an innumerable number from every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? That are gathered in the book of Revelation. Innumerable. He says, I got other sheep. They're not in this fold. I will bring them also. They will listen to my voice. How do you listen to the voice of Christ today? It's in his word. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Only one shepherd. Preachers aren't shepherds. Jesus is the shepherd. There's only one way. Preachers aren't the way. What's the one way? Jesus is the way. What is the one thing that should unite all sheep? They have one shepherd. They have Jesus. Now, some sheep like something that other sheep don't. Those guys like, I don't know, green grass, and those ones like dead grass. But there's still one shepherd. They'll eat over there, we'll eat over here, but we're all listening to one shepherd. This is how this is supposed to work. There will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason... <clears throat> the Father loves me because I, I lay down my life. I love the words that Jesus speaks at the cross because I think we think he was going to die. I think Jesus would have stayed on the cross till today. I don't think you could have killed him. I don't care how much you beat him. I don't care what you did to him, how much you denied him water. I don't care. He was not ever going to die until he said these words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I give my life, Jesus said. You can't take it. How many times have you tripped over the whole concept of how does that work? Well, it works when Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he 
hung his head. And the Bible says he screamed those words. Most of the movies you see, it's like Jesus can barely talk. Well, that's not how the Bible describes it. He shouts from the cross, Father! You think anybody didn't hear what he was saying? And then, you know, lights go out, earthquakes, temple, the veil in the temple tears. Yeah, you don't think that was a powerful thing? It's a, to me, it's the same. When Jesus says that from the cross, the same as when the soldiers all run up to arrest him and they say, are you Jesus? You remember what he says? Ego I me. Now, we've been talking about what I am is, haven't we? I am is the name of God. So he proclaims, now you can just say I am. We all say I am, but, but it's different when Jesus says I am. What happened when he said I am? All the soldiers did what? They get blown backwards. Yeah? They're off their feet. Like they got hit by a linebacker. I miss football. <laughs> Ask me in 10 years if I still miss it. But just like that, boom. Off the ground, on their backs. Why? Because Jesus' voice is the same voice in Genesis that said, let there be and light because he's God the word. He's the word of God. Isn't that amazing? All the, all the pieces that, that come together. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down my own accord. I have authority. Oh, he's gonna say at the end of Matthew, I got three minutes, I can do it. He's gonna say at the end of Matthew, all authority has been given to me. So I'm gonna give you a relatively short Greek lesson. All means all. And that's all, all means. He has all authority. Is there authority he doesn't have? Jesus says in the end of Matthew, all authority has been given to me, so go. That's what he says. Go make disciples of every nation because all authority has been given to me. He says, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. Why does he have that authority? Jesus said, this charge I received from my father. Who gave him all authority? The father did. The Father gave him all authority. That's what Philippians 2, 5 through 8 is all about. The name of Jesus, every knee will, every tongue will, to the glory of the Father. The Father is glorified by giving the Son all authority. It's amazing. The, the Father is glorified. He says, I have the authority to lay it down, and I'm going to take it up. That's a lot of power, yes? Jesus he says, I have received this from my Father. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know that word for, huper, means in place of. 
That same word is used right prior to the sheep. The good shepherd gives his life for, huper, in place of the sheep. He gives his life. So verse 19 says, so there was a great division among the Jews because of his words. Jesus said, don't think I come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. What was the purpose of the sword? The sword is going to divide. The word of God is living and powerful like a sharp two-edged sword, able to divide between what? Those who will repent and believe and those who will reject and be hardened. He's going to divide. There was a division. Many of them said, he's crazy. This is the craziest thing I ever heard. He's got a demon. Others said, these are not the words of someone who's oppressed by a demon. And then how do they close it? Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What did his work say he was? Mashiach Nagid. He is Messiah, the king. How do we know? How will we know Messiah? He's going to heal the leper. He's going to make the blind see. He's going to make the lame walk. He's going to make the deaf hear. John the Baptist coming to prepare the way. What did he say? Repent and believe all that the prophets have said. And as the people prepared their hearts and Jesus came, what happened? His numbers grew. People were following him. Now, they don't yet have the power because the Spirit's not yet given. He's coming. There's a few chapters still. We got to get to chapter 20. But when Peter preaches that first message, are the people ready to respond? Can't beat them off with a stick. Can't. Because God's purposes are being accomplished. Look, Jesus makes division. He's either crazy or he's your savior. But the division is requiring you to make a decision. Who's Jesus? Is he who he said he is? Every single time the word of God is preached, one of two things happens in your heart. You reject it and it gets harder. And one day, you won't come no more. Or you receive it and it gets softer. But the word of God will always accomplish its goal. The same word saves. The same word judges. The word of God goes forth. We are responsible as believers. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You've trusted him as your Lord and Savior. You're a believer. You are challenged by God to go into all the world making disciples of every nation, teaching them the things Jesus taught. But you don't got to know it all. All you got to be able to do is read the word. What does the word say? It's the word that has power. Not my word. God's word. 
My, there is not one commentary that has ever changed anybody's life. But there is a word of God that has changed a lot of people's lives. The word of God is powerful. What was, the, what was it that the ancient herald did? He just read the word. He read it. If you were an apostle, you read it while you were writing it. That made life a little easier. But all these things, Paul says, have been given to us for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come. All of these things are to encourage us to walk the path God has for us in these last days. You don't need to be armed with political power. You don't need to have all the things you might think you need or, or lay down. All you need is him. And if you have him, if you're following him, you will be willing to do what he did. What did he do? He laid down his life for sheep. When he said, come follow me, he's bidding us do likewise. Yes? Lay down your life for the sheep. Let's go before the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? Father God, we thank you for this time. We can be gathered together. We thank you for the truth of your word, the things that your word declares. Here in this last <coughs> public discourse in the gospel of John, as you, as you provide this teaching of what the good shepherd is, you give us two I am statements. I am the door. I am the appointed way from the Father to salvation. And I am the good shepherd who dies for his sheep. So Lord, I just, I just thank you and I praise you. And I, and I thank you that your word gives us ways that we can pray. Maybe all of us have those people in our lives that we've been trying to reach out to with the truth. But we just get shut down over and over again. May we pray, God, that you would grant repentance, that you would use your word to open the heart of those who have rejected time and again. Lord, open their heart. You're the only one who knows. God, may you open their heart. May you grant that amazing work of repentance through your word, God. May you do what your word declares. If I, the son of man, am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So God, may we exalt you and extol you. And may we elevate you that at the name of Jesus, our knees are bowed and our tongues have confessed that you are Lord. And may we present to the world an exalted Christ who lifted, was lifted up for me, who spoke the words from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, who gave himself in death so that death might become a doorway to his presence. He robbed death of its sting 
God, may we just come to know with all the saints what is the height and breadth and width and depth of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And may we exalt you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.